Let me talk to you for a few minutes, do a little bit of review, then we'll... I think the first verse we're going to open to is either Hebrews or Ephesians, but let's just see how we go with this, amen, as we begin tonight. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And then 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We've been talking now for some weeks on this subject of fellowship, and we've been looking at the different characteristics of fellowship and what it is and how it is so much more and so different than the personal relationship mindset that is so prevalent in the body of Christ today. And we have you know, looked at the difference between those two and, and the mindset that is involved in both of those different um, you know, ways of looking at and, and considering what it is that Father would have to do uh, with us. And then from there, we've talked about fellowship as it relates to positional and functional oneness. And we've explained that in um, some detail, I guess. We're going to look at it a little deeper, I guess, tonight. But we've used the example of what the Bible says that you know, man and a woman enter into, into a marriage covenant and God makes them one. That's positional oneness, but then learning to function in harmony with one another, that's functional oneness. Jesus had both positional oneness and functional oneness with His Father here on the earth and lots of verses that point to that and talk about that. Then last week we went again to Philemon verse 6 where he says that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. And we've asked this question a few times now. I'll ask it again tonight. Have we reached this place of maturity in our growth and development where we can acknowledge our oneness with God? Where we can acknowledge our oneness with God. This is huge. It's His desire and it's His doing. And so we looked at different verses last week that supported our oneness with God, and, and it's not just something that we say or that sounds good, we see it from Father's perspective in the Scriptures in many different places. Most importantly, and all the Bible's important, but when it's written in red, coming from the lips of Jesus Himself, I consider that to be the Supreme Court, Chief Justice of the Supreme Court of the Word of God, and it was just the final say, Amen. And so we then came to this verse here, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11. And it says of Jesus, For both he who sanctifies, he's the one who sanctifies, and those who are being sanctified, that's you and me, for both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he's not ashamed to call them brethren. And that word ashamed speaks of being reluctant to do something because of a fear of embarrassment or humiliation. And my mother has an expression, like if somebody is quick to do something, she'll say, he didn't skip a beat. Amen. <laughs> he didn't skip a beat. And I guess that comes from her music background, you know, skipping a beat, I guess, the drums or singing or, or what have you. And when it comes to Jesus declaring, proclaiming that you are one with him, he doesn't skip a beat. Amen. 
he is um, not reluctant, not hesitant whatsoever. And we see the opposite of being ashamed to acknowledge something is to rejoice at its acknowledgement. And so Jesus rejoices to be one with you and to call you brothers and sisters. Now, we then ask the question, are we hesitant or are we reluctant to call ourselves one with Jesus? And I want you to think about that for just a minute. And there's a verse that applies here, and so I want to make sure that, that we get this said as well. Jesus told us not to cast our pearls before swine. And what that means, of course, is you know if you take something that's very precious and you throw it out in front of somebody who has no appreciation for it, they'll eat it just like right alongside everything else. In other words, the, the swine doesn't have the capacity yet to appreciate the value and the pricelessness of a pearl. And so there are certain things that, of course, always be led by the Spirit, but there are certain things that we don't just need to go throw out you know, for people. So there is that one aspect to all this that we need to keep in mind and in consideration. But I think sometimes the fear of embarrassment, the the reluctancy and the hesitancy is more on our part to to say, hey, you know what, I am I am one with God. I am I am one with Jesus um, and and rejoice in that. Now, because I think one of the reasons we're reluctant is because there are, you know, the same thing that happened when Jesus, maybe not as severe in our country, but, you know, the religious establishment, it set their hair on fire when Jesus said that he was the son of God and that he and his father were one. Of course, they just, you know, went, went ape over that, went crazy over that. Um, but it's very important for us to understand this, to acknowledge this, and to not be reluctant to, um, to say it. And then we looked at this word brethren, and, and unfortunately, to just say brothers and sisters, that's, that is, is a lesser version of what this word really means. Um, the word in the original language translated brethren is the word adelphos, and it means from the same womb, from the same seed, one having the same nature. One having the same nature. And, of course, we see that we have been born again of the incorruptible seed of the Word of God, and by that have become partakers of the divine nature, Second Peter, 1 Peter 1, 23, and then 2 Peter 1 and 4. And this word partaker or partner, it is a fellowship word. Matter of fact, it shares a common root, koinonos, being partaker, koinonia, being fellowship. But the last two things we said last week were this, were these. Adelphos generally denotes a fellowship of life based on identity of origin. Based on identity of origin. And so remember, where did we originate? We originated in the Father Himself. We came forth from the Father. And now we have been made one with the Father again through the new birth. And those who have experienced that reality enjoy an Adelphos or a fellowship of life based upon that identity. And then Adelphos also designates a fellowship of love equivalent to or bringing with it a community of life. And I know that, you know, these are all from the Complete Word Study Dictionary, but I just really like the way those uh, definitions are worded 
because again, do you, do you hear them screaming fellowship and, and even helping us better understand what fellowship is and what it looks like? Amen. Now, let's go to Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 22. Ephesians 1 and 22. Now, this, these two verses are at the end of what I consider to be among the most important prayers that we have in all the Word of God. Of course, I think the most important prayer we have is the one when the disciples asked Jesus to teach us to pray, and He gave us the, the, what's called the Lord's Prayer, which is really a model prayer for us to learn from and follow. And we said a few weeks back that the most important word in that entire prayer is the first one, Our Father. Our Father, again, that's fellowship, prayer within the context of fellowship. But in this prayer, in Ephesians 1, it's the prayer that the Holy Spirit had inspired the Apostle Paul to pray over the churches, or the church, but you know the different churches around uh, Asia. And he prayed that they would have a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God, and he prayed that the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened and that they would know, and then he lists these things that he wants them to see and know. And when you think of all the things that the Apostle Paul could have prayed for the churches, important things, you know, things about, you know, maybe, uh, well, just think about when we take prayer requests, you know, and, and we talk about all these different things we could pray for. But Paul recognized that if he prayed for the church to have a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of God, and for their eyes to be opened and for them to know um, what is the hope of God's calling, what are the riches of His glory in the inherit- of inheritance in the saints, what is the exceeding greatness of God's power working towards Him. In other words, he lists this thing of understanding and knowledge that, that, that they, for them to receive. He knew that would cover any other physical, spiritual, social, financial, fam- family, any need they had in their lives would be answered and covered with that prayer. And then he comes to the close of that prayer, and he says, he talks about the exceeding greatness of God's power working in them. And he closes it in verse 22 when he says, and he put all things under his feet, speaking of Jesus, all things under Jesus' feet, and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, I didn't do it, and maybe I should have, but I have done this in the past. I've bridged verse 22 with verse 23 and left out the number 23. This wasn't written in chapter and verse, and so if you'll notice, verse 22 ends with a, with a comma, and verse 23 begins with a lowercase w. So it literally originally read, and still of course reads today, um, the church which is his body. Given Jesus, all things under his feet. The feet, where are the feet? Is, it, is the body of Christ a head than a set of feet? No. So when he says all things under his feet, he's not just saying all things under his chin, he's saying all things under his body. Amen. You see, death never was a threat to Jesus, our head, amen, but it was a threat to you and me. 
Sickness never was a threat to him, but it was a threat to you and me. Sin never was a threat. Poverty never was a threat. All these things that threatened humanity, um, for that matter, the devil himself, they never were a threat to the head. They were a threat to you and me, the body. And so we see in other places where the Bible says Jesus will rule and reign until every enemy is put not under his chin, but under his feet, which means underneath the body, which means you and me. So he says that he has given Jesus, put all things under his feet, and gave Jesus, gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body. And then he finishes with this phrase, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And the, the structure here is that he says that the body of Christ is the fullness of him who fills all in all. We are the fullness of Jesus, and Jesus is the one who fills all in all. Now, you may not understand exactly what this means, and it's heavy, and it's strong, and it's deep, and it's powerful, and it's beautiful, but I think even the one among us who has maybe the least familiarity of these verses would have to admit this sounds pretty important. Amen. This, this is big. And if you think this is big, you are right. But I don't think any person in this room as of yet understands just how big. And do you see, there's the fellowship, the word fellowship is not here exactly, specifically fellowship, but this, again, is one of those verses that is screaming fellowship. Now, let me step back for just a minute and remind you where we are, and then we're going to go forward. We've made the point that fellowship involves both positional oneness with God. We've been made one with Him through the new birth. We've been married to Christ. We are the body of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. The Bible has much to say about that. Those who are joined to the Lord are one spirit with Him. So we've been made one with God. That's positional. Now, discipleship and growing and learning of Jesus involves our positional oneness becoming functional oneness. And Jesus is the standard for functional oneness. And he said the works that he did, we would do also. He said, my Father in me does the works. Amen. I can't do anything without him. Me and my Father are one. The Father who is in me, he does the works. And these are some of the core verses of understanding positional and functional oneness as it relates to Jesus' example on this earth. Now, I know that's strong for a lot of people. It's like, man, you know, I'm just trying to balance my checkbook, Pastor. I don't know know about all these other stuff. Well, well, amen. Again, we've got to acknowledge. It begins with acknowledging our oneness with God. It begins with recognizing, hey, you know what? There's a reality on the inside of us that, that we may have never seen or only caught glimpses of on the outside of us, but it's a reality nonetheless. And we've got to acknowledge every good thing that's in us. And so we see then that this oneness that we have, and that's why we've been looking at all these different verses. And now we come to this one, and we're going to spend some time here. Matter of fact, we, we may carry over into next week. Um, there's just a lot here that I think the Holy Spirit wants to bring out for us. But again, he put all things under Jesus' feet and gave Jesus to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, as it, as it relates to these verses, um, there are some, there's a handful of sources, when I say sources, commentaries, commentaries is just what it sounds like, where people offer their comments on a passage, okay? 
And then there are dictionaries. Obviously, that would be the most reliable. Holy Spirit, the most reliable. But, you know, looking up a word in a dictionary, like this word fullness is the word pleroma uh, in, in the original language. And so what does that mean? As you begin to try to dig into this and really lay hold of what he's saying and, 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 the, and the awe of this and the, and the eternal nature of this and the fellowship nature of this and the oneness nature of this, okay? Um, th- then from there, you, you have uh, what's called a lexicon um, or a, like you saw the reference a moment ago that was from a word study dictionary. And, and that is like a dictionary on steroids. It's going to break that word down and you know, one word can have three columns, you know, of, of, ex, of expounding and where the Bible uses the word and, and what it's, um, uh, you know, some of its um, derivatives and, and things of that nature, okay? Conjugations, if it's verbs. It, so, again, that's another really good way to study. Then you come to, like, an exposition where an expositor is someone who, who takes the original language. And so typically these are people who are really, like if you've ever listened to Dr. Rick Renner teach, he's an expositor, okay, um, of the Greek language, which means the New Testament. And listen, you can get his daily devotion sent to your email free. And it's, it's, it's amazing um, how the word comes alive when it comes from someone who understands the original language when I say understands it, I mean can speak it. You know what I'm saying? I, I look things up and cross-reference things and that sort of thing. Okay. And so this is from a source, an expositor. Matter of fact, that's what it's called, expositors, is the, is the source. And, and he says this, okay, the expositors say this. Um, it's a team, a group, I should say, all right, uh, about this verse. And I know it's kind of wordy, but... Let the Holy Spirit help you because, man, he really spoke to me um, through this. And I'll put it up on the screen, okay? So, again, we're, we're, we're doing an, an exposition, expose, think about that way, of, of this verse from the original language. And so this is from um, expositors, okay? It says, The relation between Christ and the church is not an external relation or one simply of superior and inferior sovereign and subject, but one of life and incorporation. Amen. I think a lot of people in the church today, because they're personal relationship-minded instead of fellowship-minded, they think of it more as um, superior, inferior, sovereign, and subject. The church is an institution, and Jesus is the head of, of the institution as opposed to the head of a body. There's a difference, right? There's a difference between someone who is a CEO and a head attached to a neck attached to a body. And it's very easy because think of the... See, we go back to acknowledging our oneness with God. To acknowledge that we are literally the body of Christ. And by the way, we've looked at it verse after verse in here. The Bible says it this way. The Bible says, you are of his flesh and of his bones. You are one with him. Not figuratively, literally. Absolutely. Okay. But see, 
it's, it's much easier to think because of a personal relationship mindset. You know, it's like we're all part of an institution and Jesus is the CEO of the institution. Or we're all subjects in a kingdom and he's the king. Okay. And again, the, the kingdom has been given to us. <laughs> he is king, don't misunderstand me. But when it talks about Jesus being the head of the body. So one more time, the relation between Christ and the church is not an external relation or one simply of superior and inferior, sovereign and subject, but one of life and incorporation. The Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they, they look at what they desire to have with you and me, fellowship and everything that flows from that, from the perspective of life and incorporation, not from the perspective of uh, an institution. So let's keep going here. The church is not merely an institution ruled by him as president, a kingdom in which he is the supreme authority. And he is, listen to me now, he is the supreme authority. We're not saying that he's not, but we're talking about the perspective, the understanding that we need to have, right? The church is not merely, in other words, it's, it's, it, it can be these things, but it's more than these things, an institution ruled by him as president. He is the ruler of the church. He is, the, he is our master. We are his servants, his disciples. Amen. Sons that serve. Let me clear that up. Not merely an institution ruled by him as president, a kingdom in which he is the supreme authority, or a vast company of men in moral sympathy with him, but a society. Notice the capital S there. We'll come back to that. A society which is in vital connection with him. Vital means via life. In life connection with him. Having the source of its life in him. Sustained and directed by his power. The instrument by which he works. You see the difference there. Do you see the difference? A little different flavor tonight. But stay with me, okay? So society, again, notice the capitalization. This word society as it's being used, is synonymous with community, and you guessed it, is synonymous meaning with fellowship. Meaning what? It's a, it's a community whose vital connection with Him, having um, the source of its life in Him, sustained and directed by His power, the instrument also by which He works. And then you could put the same word fellowship in there without changing the meaning whatsoever. So, <clears throat> instrument here is synonymous with means, the means by which he works. Jesus is in heaven, we're in him, he's in us, but the body is here on the earth. We are the means by which he operates here on the earth. Jesus did not say to his disciples before he ascended to heaven, hey guys, I'm going to preach the gospel, why don't you come go with me? No, he said, you go preach the gospel and I will go with you, confirming what you say with signs following. Now, let me try to put some of this in some different words here. Jesus is not a ruler in an ivory tower commanding and governing his subjects or followers from afar. If you've got that concept of who he is and how he operates, you have a wrong concept. Jesus is not, I'm reading it again, Jesus is not an a ruler in an ivory tower commanding and governing his subjects or followers from afar any more than my head is directing my body from a separate and undisclosed location. 
right? You picking that up? What I'm saying, it's like, you know, you don't get me started on this too much. I'm trying to stir you up here, but you know, you're dealing with what you think's an American U.S.-based company, and you call customer service, and you get somebody half a world away, who may be nice and all that stuff, but it's very difficult for you to understand. Are, are you follow? It's like, it's like, okay, I thought I was dealing with something here, but now it's somebody way away, undisclosed location, what have you, right? I think sometimes we think Jesus is like that. It's like, okay, the church is right here, but, you know, who knows where Jesus is tonight? I mean, you know, he could, you know, he could be, you know, in another universe somewhere, you know, ruling the church from afar. No, that's, that's, not, that's not how any of this works. Let me read it again. Jesus is not a ruler in an ivory tower commanding and governing his subjects or followers from afar any more than my head, literal head, is directing my body from a separate and undisclosed location any more than my marriage is a limited liability corporation with me acting as CEO. Are you following me? Now, Pam honors me as the head of our home, as the priest of our home. Okay? I've heard it said this way, and I don't, I'm not trying to make a joke, and I, I think that it's the way God set it up. I may be the head, but she's the neck that turns the head. Amen. And, and there is that connection, there is that union. But in case you hadn't figured it out, let me go ahead and let you in on something, okay? Marriage is not going to work with you like trying to be the boss of somebody. I'm not saying that you're not. You know, the Bible's very clear about men, men being the head of the home. But see, that kind of goes back to my head governing my body from an undisclosed location, separated from my body. That's not going to work, Okay. Nor is it going to work if I approach my marriage covenant with Pam. It's like, okay, I'm the CEO, I'm the chief executive officer, but you can be the chief operating officer, okay? So go cook me something. <laughs> no, see, that's, that's, not, that's, that's not the, the spirit of marriage. That's not um, how it's designed and intended to function. So fellowship is the relation of life and incorporation spoken of here between Christ and the church. He's saying it's not one of of, um, sovereign and subject, but it's one of life. It's life-giving. It's shared life. It's mutual life. Listen, he came to people who were biologically alive, and he said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it in overflowing abundance. And he said, I've come literally the Zoe of God. I've come to give you the life and nature of God in overflowing abundance. That's what he came to do for us. Not, I've, I've come to, you know, set up a system that, you know, you can be a part of and prosper in. He did set up a system, a kingdom that we can thrive and prosper in. But far too many people, again, they have the, the subject sovereign, the subject king mindset, but not the bride and body concept uh, that is truth and that is fellowship. Are you still with me? So these two words, life and incorporation. Fellowship is the relation of life and incorporation. Did Jesus not say, I've come to give you life? Yes, he did. Did Jesus not say, you are in me and I'm in the Father? That's, that's incorporation, all right? So incorporation means, are you ready? Incorporation means the inclusion of something as part of the whole. We could go further here. I'm wanting you at least to see it just 
quickly and obviously verses to support the reality of Father's desire for life and incorporation. When I say incorporation, I'm not talking about like a, like a company corporation. I'm talking about, again, incorporation means the inclusion of something as part of the whole. The inclusion of something as part of the whole. The inclusion of something as part of the whole. What whole have we been incorporated into? The eternal community and fellowship known as God. We have been incorporated in. We have been brought in. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to seek and to save that which had become separated from the Father. That had become disenfranchised. Amen. Now, He comes to do what? He comes to incorporate us back in to life and wholeness. Praise God. All right. I want to finish tonight with something that we've kind of touched on this before I didn't really get into the fullness of it and I want to I want to try to do that right quick in the time we have remaining and I want to go back to just the example of using my right hand okay and so um, one hand five fingers a great place to begin understanding fellowship okay one hand, five fingers, okay, a great place to begin understanding fellowship. Now, my hand and the fingers that are on it is not a relationship. It's more than that. It's a partnership, okay? My thumb and my four fingers are in partnership with one another. And more accurately, my hand Thumb and four fingers represent a fellowship. Now, Pastor Bill Winston, remember what he said, fellowship is two fellows in a ship, which means fellowship says we're all in this together. Each of my five individual fingers are joined together to form my hand. And guess what? They are all in this hand together. Are you following me? They're all in this together. Amen. Okay, now, the fingers on my hand are vitally connected. They each have the same source of life and are positioned in such a way as to function together as one. Are you seeing this? They're different and in a slightly different position from one another relative to the thumb. But they are positioned, the positional oneness, right? The positional oneness. You ever tried to use your chin as your hand? You know, your hands are full and you... Oh, I didn't even know that was on. Oh, it wasn't on. That was the microphone. Praise God. All right, sorry. Somebody driving down the road got a jolt right there. Okay, all right. So they're positioned in proximity to one another, oneness, so that they will then be able to function together as one. Now let's keep going. I'm just going to walk you right through this, all right? So each of my fingers exists for a purpose greater than themselves and their individual ability. Now obviously I'm talking about my hand, but I'm also talking about fellowship, right? They're all in a fellowship together. They're partners. They're, man, we're in this thing together. We're in this right hand together and we're positioned together and we're going to work together as, you know, as one, Okay, five fingers working together 
as one. So each of my fingers exists for a purpose greater than themselves and their individual ability. The same is true of you and me. We all exist for a greater purpose than ourselves and our individual ability. Same is true if you hadn't picked this up yet. As born-again believers, we all have the same source of life and have been positioned together to function as one together with Jesus. And and some of these examples are going to represent Him as the dominant. Remember I said right hand, dominant hand, thumb, most important of the five fingers on this hand. So some of these, again, we're going to think of Jesus as in this together with us. Amen? (laughs) Meaning me and you are are the four fingers. He's the thumb. Yes? You still with me? This may be juvenile, but it's going to help us. I promise it's going to help you. Stay with me. All right. So each of my fingers exists for a purpose greater than themselves and their individual ability. Let's keep going. Each of my fingers were destined to be one with a hand and to function together with other fingers. God never intended for my pinky to go off by itself solo. Amen. That's, that's the destiny. That's the, that's, when I say destiny, it's what it was intended, determined and intended by God Himself. Now, none of my fingers then will ever find the purpose and fulfillment they desire apart from the fellowship they were created to enjoy. You understand, and I'm talking about you as much as I'm talking about my right hand, okay? Amen. So in other words, we will never, none of us will ever find the purpose and fulfillment that we desire in life apart from the fellowship we were created to enjoy. Now, think about this. If one of my fingers becomes weak or injured, the other fingers do not reject or deny it, but work harder to compensate for the loss. Bear you one another's burdens. Right? So we're, we're, it's not like, oh, so um, you've, you've got a, I, I cut my thumb not too long ago, right? And it's like, man, you know. Um, so I'm, I'm like grabbing stuff like this, you know, trying to keep the pressure off that right there. But my hand didn't like, okay, well, we're out of commission until this thing gets... No, it's, the other fingers tried to work together to compensate for the one that was weakened or injured. Okay? Now, each of my fingers are different from the others, but each... Stay with me, okay? If this sounds a little funny, you're going to remember it. Amen. In Jesus' name. Each of my fingers are different from the others, but each are perfectly content with who they are and what they have to offer the other four. That's fellowship. That's fellowship. My pinky's not as long as my index finger. My ring finger, right? It's not as close to my thumb as my index finger. But they're all... By the way, the closer you are to the thumb representing Jesus, the more useful you are. Amen. It, praise God. Now, let's keep going here. All right. Y'all still out there? Yeah. Thinking, you're thinking? You're thinking? Okay. All right. So, um, each of my fingers are different from the others, but each are perfectly content with who they are and what they have to offer the other four. Listen very carefully. There is no competition... There is no inferiority, there is no envy, there is no strife, and there is no jealousy in fellowship. Jesus is not threatened by you having equal standing with Him before the Father. 
my thumb knows it's superior to my other fingers. My thumb knows, amen, <laughs> that without it, those other four are diminished in their capacity to function. My thumb knows it is superior to my other fingers, but does not see or treat them as inferior, but as equals. My thumb is not ashamed to call my other four fingers, brethren. Amen. Amen. Now, none of my fingers are equal to any of the others. Think about that. They're all different. None of them are equal to any of the others, but each are equal with the others by virtue of the fellowship that positions them together and enables them to function together. My index finger is not my thumb. My index finger cannot do what my thumb does because it does not have the same position on my hand that my thumb has. Now, we are seated together with Christ, but He has a position higher higher, we're in Him, but He is positioned higher, stay with me, I'm going to explain this, I think the Holy Spirit is going to help you see it, than any of the rest of God's sons and daughters. Now you say, oh, I'm not sure about that, stay with me, okay, we'll see what I mean. And I'm not just trying to throw the religiously minded a bone here, I want to try to be as clear about all this the way the Lord showed it to me, okay. So none of my fingers are equal to any of the others, but each are equal with the others. My index finger is not my thumb. It cannot do what my thumb does. It does not have the same position on my hand that my thumb has. But my right index finger has been positioned together with my thumb, enabling it to function together with my thumb. Okay? Now I'm almost done. Just stay with me a few more minutes. My index finger is not equal to my thumb but it is equal with my thumb. Now, I'm going to get into this more next week. Stand with me. Praise God. But one of the things, and I made a lot of notes on this when we first began to talk about fellowship, but I mean, I've, every time I'm like, I want to talk about this, I want to talk about this, but I just feel like we've come to a place now where it's time to really immerse ourselves in what I think is one of the most important and yet, how do I say this? Potentially divisive truths about the subject of fellowship. And that is this. Fellowship, by definition of what it is, requires equal standing. Anything less than equal standing among the participating members transforms the connection from fellowship back down to relationship. The biggest difference between relationship and fellowship is equal standing among those participating. You can have relationship without equal standing, but you cannot have fellowship without equal standing. Equal standing with God means the same standing with God as Jesus. On the surface, this sounds like far-fetched fantasy at best, heresy at worst, and yet 
we find what the Bible says as our eyes are being opened. Amen. Same Father. Same seed. Same spirit. Same kingdom. Same righteousness. Same love. Same glory. Same inheritance. Are you picking up what I'm putting down tonight? Do you hear me? Now, am I making this up? Or does the Bible support everything that I've said? The Bible, and I mean, I'm not even finished, but the Bible supports every bit of it. Not equal to, equal with. And so let me, I need to say this so you'll understand this. In the sense of being sons of David and Brenda Winslet, me and Matthew are equal with one another. But there is one aspect of all of this that I will never be equal to him in, and that is I will never be equal to him being the firstborn. Are you following me? Sons, equal. One day if Jesus doesn't call us all home and we divide up mom and dad's inheritance, equal shares between me and my brother and my sister. So in that regard, there's an equal with, in the sense of our being heirs of God and co-heirs with Jesus, equal with, not, I didn't say it, God said it, same love, Father, you love them the same love you love me with. I mean, again, we could go down the list, show you every verse in the Bible. But there's, one, there's one, uh, one key thing here. He was the only begotten Son of God. Now he is the firstborn from the dead and the firstborn among many brethren. Are you with me? I'm not trying to open up a can of worms here, and that's not my intent to be controversial, confrontational. It's not controversial, confrontational. Amen. But just hear me. See, these are things that we've been reluctant. Well, we just rather roll in the middle and go to another room instead of get the brush and really cut it in here. But either the Bible says this or it doesn't. And if the Bible says it's important, if the Bible says that it's something we need, if the Bible says it and we're ignoring it, then we're ignoring something that could be you know, very important to making the difference in our lives. So I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to stir. I don't mean you in this room. You folks here in this room are all in on this. I understand that. I'm talking about folks watching and some of the blowback I've received over the years from preaching these things. That's okay. I'm not, I'm not scared of that. I'm just telling you. We're not trying to just, you know, open up you know, a hand grenade and throw it in the middle of Facebook or something like that. That's not what we're trying to do. Trying to figure out where we fit into all this. And I'm telling you, it's much higher than any of us have thought it to this point. Amen. Father, you're good to us. Let everything we touch the remainder of this week prosper for your glory. Reveal yourself to us in personal and meaningful ways. Father, things that, Lord, things that you know about.